Lord, it's been a delight to ring of pra- uh, to read about praises in heaven, and then to echo them here on earth prophetically. We we long to be there around the throne, giving glory to you, Father and Son and Spirit. We thank you for what you have done already this week. We know that you will continue the good work that you have begun in us uh, far past tonight, far past this week after we've returned home. We thank you in advance for what you'll do. Lord, we have a sense that your work here isn't done. I pray, Lord, that you will continue to work in hearts for any who don't yet know Jesus. They might hear us singing now, but they won't be with us around the throne and For your glory and in your compassion, I ask you, Lord, to change that. I ask you to draw them to yourself, to open their eyes, to grant them faith and repentance. Save them. Pray that not one from this room will be missing when we are singing your praises in eternity. And I pray indeed that you'll use people from this room to gather people from all over the world. Every tribe and tongue and kindred and nation might... We have so many there giving praise to the Lamb. We thank you. Now, as we open your word, help me to explain it accurately and clearly. Help help us to listen attentively. Help us to be teachable. Help us to uh, just do business with you and allow you to conquer our uh, rebel hearts and change us. So do your work tonight. Spirit of God, move among us and, and do something that we can't even understand or explain, but just do a work of revival in our hearts. And then through us, as we return home to our churches and to our spheres of influence, Lord, do something amazing. Again, the glory will go to you. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just very, very brief comments, but um, I've already told you how much I've appreciated this week. One of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite weeks of my life, preaching to this group in this place has been an absolute delight. Uh, So thank you for the opportunity to do that. God is working, and I believe He'll continue that. So uh, thank you for the opportunity for that. I hate to mention. Amen. It's been a blessing. Very quickly, I just mentioned uh, the book table. There are resources I'm packing up tonight, so if you want to get something, just uh, we need to do it between the service and the fire or something. But um, up in the left-hand corner is the blue book called The God Who Satisfies, and basically the messages this week are in that book, and um, if you don't get it tonight, there's a few left, but you could get it on Amazon. There's other daily devotionals and things that might be a help to you, so uh, tonight, or there's so many other good things you could be learning. I'll tell you what, you want a really good book, I have a book recommendation. Andy's been giving book recommendations every day. Read this book. It's a, it's a bestseller. The author is perfect. It's amazing. Okay, read the scriptures, go home and spend some time there. Let's finish up our study of the Samaritan woman and her interaction with Jesus. Turn to John chapter chapter 4. We're moving into message 5. I already have a typo. Message 5. You remember what the messages were? Uh, Monday through Friday, we had Jesus seeks sinners. What was the second one? Jesus saves sinners. Third one, Jesus satisfies sinners. Last night, Jesus turned sinners into worshipers. 
And then we end tonight, Jesus turns sinners into witnesses. God doesn't just save this woman. He transforms her, and then, by God's grace, He begins to use her. Uh, God delights to use jacked-up people. We all kind of have scratches and dents. You know, we've all, been, we've all been bumped and bruised in this world. I love Spurgeon, and, you know, rarely do I disagree with Spurgeon, the best English preacher ever, but he has a statement in his book called Lectures to My Students. He said, the Almighty would never use dirty tools. And what he means is, you know, preachers, you need to be godly. You need to fight sin. You need to, you need to be pure, not fake. However, God always uses dirty tools. I mean, he really doesn't have anything in his toolbox. If he's going to use humans, even Christians, he's going to use people who are kind of messed up. And he uses us anyway, and the glory goes to him. And in the passage we're reading tonight, Jesus is going to use an outcast, multiple divorcee, uh, sinful, confused, ashamed Samaritan woman, and an entire city is going to be saved. This is one of the best revivals in the New Testament. It all comes from the Samaritan woman. It's amazing, amazing passage. Let's stand together and read it. John 4, 27 through 42. Try to move quickly tonight. We won't be able to touch on everything, but you'll get at least an idea of what's happening. So he sought her, saved her, offered her satisfaction, turned her into a worshiper, and then now watch what he does. This is, this is just remarkable. John 4, 27. Just then, his disciples came back. They'd been in town getting food. They came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Now, it tells us so fast, but that must have been a remarkable scene. You know, here's this lady. She's been avoiding everybody. She's, she's hiding from her past and now she goes into town, and they might have thought she was nuts, but did you hear what she said? Let's go see for ourselves. So they go out to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Because of the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world." It's the Word of God. Let's study together. Be seated, please. Jesus 
turns sinners into witnesses. This passage has several objects, and we're going to kind of learn a lesson from three of them. Uh, the first one is a lesson from a jar. You know, certainly didn't look like the picture that I have on the slide, but a jar that she had taken to fill with water. Again, she went in the heat of the day, avoiding the crowds, you know, avoiding people that there would be awkward conversations because of her sinful past. She, got, she went there to get water, but she met Jesus, and He changed her life, and eventually she just says, forget about the jar. She leaves it there, and she runs back into town to see all the people she's been avoiding. You know, what's so important about the jar? Well, first, the jar is just a jar. All right, usually when you're studying Scripture, uh, sometimes it's fun to be like, all right, you know what the jar represented? Uh, the jar represented her false religion, and she left it behind. The jar was something that held water. It's just a jar. Okay, it wasn't her former lifestyle. It wasn't religion. You know, it wasn't anything symbolic. But at that moment in time, the jar was a distraction. She's like, you know what? I just found out the best news in the world. My life has changed. And it tells you something about this woman. I mean, as, as bad as she was, as soon as she met Jesus, her first instinct was to tell others, the people that might have mocked her, the people that might have driven her out, the people she'd been avoiding, when she met Jesus, there was nothing in her that said, this is great news and I'm going to keep it to myself because I'm so sick of all those people anyway. All my ex-husbands and their families and the town that makes fun of me, the women that gossip about me. As soon as she met Jesus, there's something in her heart that says, this is good news for me and I can't hoard it. I can't hide it. This is, this is good news that everybody needs to know. So she leaves her jar. I imagine she came back and got it later. But, but she was too busy to worry about getting water when she had such good news. Do you remember what Jesus said to her when he asked for a drink? And then, and then he says to her, if only you knew. What was that? Verse 10. If only you knew who is speaking to you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. If only he knew. And there's some sense in the heart of this woman, this woman, all these people that, that I live with, all these people I've grown up with, if only they knew. Maybe they weren't as dirty as her, but they still were lost in a false religion. They still had their own thirst. They tried to satisfy it in a number of different ways. And immediately she thinks, if only they knew. And she leaves Jesus and the disciples in her water jar, and she books it into town, and she starts telling people, and, and it's remarkable, she doesn't just say, hey, there's a man at the well and you should meet him. She actually kind of implicates herself. She actually drags her own skeletons out of the closet and she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. She brings up her past. So, hey, you guys know how messed up I am? Come tell me, or come with me and, and see a man who knows all about it. So she kind of reminds them of her past there must have been weird conversations, kind of exchange looks. You know, is she, is she nuts? Is she on something? Is she confused? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going to go. I mean, you're going to go, right? The entire village starts walking out with her. And again, by the end of the story, most in that village have come to Christ. 
And they say, and again, I say it's, it's so anti-prejudice. It's so against the racism of that day and of our day. They say that Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. Not the Savior of the Pharisees, the Savior of the high priest, the Savior of the Jews. It's the Savior of the world. This woman's going to be instrumental in causing a revival. And it's so ironic. She knows next to nothing. You know, she didn't stop on her way between the well and the village. She didn't stop and attend an evangelism class. She didn't learn apologetics. She didn't go to Bible college. All of that's good stuff. She just knew, you got to know about Jesus. I mean, I don't know a lot, but you need to meet him. And she just tells the little bit that she knew. And, and that whole city is going to be turned upside down because the gospel is contagious. The gospel's contagious. When one person comes to Christ, there, there have been people this week, you've come to Christ, and I hope there is in your conscience a, a sense that, you know what, I need to get home and tell my family about this. I have best friends who aren't at camp, but I want to tell them. So what I've experienced, the relief, the satisfaction, the removal of guilt, the joy, I want them to know this. Listen. What happens to you at camp is not the property of IRBC. You don't need to get your friends to camp. You need to get your friends to Jesus. And they might not be part of a 600-person choir, but Jesus will do the same thing for them that he did for you. The gospel's contagious. I gave the gospel to a young man, first year of the church plant in Ohio, 25 years ago, a guy named David Conant. David was a man's man. He's kind of a Jacob. Like he's, he was thick, bodybuilder, football player, really good student. I was counseling his parents. Frankly, it didn't go well. But in the process, I met him. And he's hearing the truth, but he's, he's struggling. He's, he's such a brainiac, so he's struggling with evolution. Does God really exist, and how do we answer these things? I'm trying to just give him answers, give him answers. One day at Wendy's, I'm talking to him about the gospel, his eyes filled with tears. He pushed back from the table and just left. Got in his car and left. Didn't say goodbye. And I'm like, man, what did I just do? What, what did I say that was wrong? God was convicting him. And it kind of made him angry. You know, sometimes people, when they get the gospel, they might get angry, frustrated. Later, I find out that in his mercy, God kept working in David's life. And David got saved. He didn't get kind of saved. He got saved. So here's this, amazing, you can clap for that. David got saved. When David, when David came to Christ, I say the gospel's contagious. He's like the Samaritan woman. You know, he left his weights at the weight room and he went and started talking to his family. He's from an Italian Catholic family. They probably have a Pope somewhere in their history that's a family member. I mean, they were way Catholic. His uncle Joe Falcone... Falcone just sounds kind of mafia or something. They were Italian and way Catholic. And then his, his grandmother was an 80-year-old Italian Catholic lady. We're not opposed to Catholic people, but the Catholic system doesn't teach the gospel. It teaches a work salvation, not just trust in Jesus. He goes to them and he starts telling them, I've come to know Jesus as my Savior. Let me show you from the Bible. If you don't come to know Jesus as your Savior, you're going to be lost. And because I love you, I want you to know Him. And He went after them and they tolerated it. But 
After a while, it started to irritate them. And his mother called me. She said, Pastor Chris, David is kind of ticking off all of our relatives. And I almost told him to tone it down, which would have been terrible advice. They got angry. They got frustrated. And a couple months later, I'm in a swimming pool in Madison, Ohio, baptizing Joe Falcone because he came to know Christ as Savior. He got baptized. He, he was discipled. He, he, became, he became a deacon in our church, like a core leader in our church. God just changed his life. And then, one of the big joys of my life, I'm in a swimming pool with an 80-year-old Italian Catholic lady who has come to know Jesus as Savior, and I got to baptize her. Grandma Falcone, Grandma Falcone died last year, and she's in heaven face-to-face with Jesus. You know, don't feel bad for her, feel bad for us. You know, we're living here, she's with Jesus. Why did that happen? Because the gospel is contagious. You meet Jesus and you want the people you know, the people you love to meet Jesus. God used David. Honestly, he didn't use me. God used David. David didn't know everything, but he gave the gospel and people came to Christ. I just got a note from David. This is 25 years later. I just got a note from David. Eventually, he moved from a science field and he said, you know, maybe God's calling me to preach. He went to seminary and he just told me that he is candidating to be a pastor of a church in Ohio. God just does amazing things. But the gospel is contagious. You don't hold it and hide it. You share it. You you give it to other people. You say, well, that's, that's terrifying, you know. Giving the gospel to people is kind of scary. Guys, you're, you're way overthinking this. Here's the way most Christians deal with evangelism. Evangelism means the The gospel, the good news, we have to tell people, here's the way most churches deal with evangelism. It's kind of like this. You know this guy? Good afternoon. My name is Russell, and I am a wilderness explorer. Go ahead, finish it. Are you in need? No, no. And then the old man slams the door, but he puts his foot in the door. He knocks again. The old man opens the door. And what does he say? Good afternoon. Right. You don't have to see if you can stop. You can do it. Stop. Come on. You can do it. All right. There you go. All right. Just finish. Finish. I give up. This, This is not the way we need to give the gospel. You don't need to memorize a spiel. And then if somebody asks a question, you're like, ah, now what do I do? You're not memorizing some canned approach. You just know Jesus and you talk about him. Don't don't do it this way. I have a missionary friend named David Hasefluk, and he simplifies it. He just says this. Here's, Here's a plan for evangelism. Pray, meet people, and tell them about Jesus. All right, now, you could actually remove that second step. You already know people, so pray and tell them about Jesus. You don't have to know everything. She knew nothing except that he was the promised Savior and he had changed her life. Just just tell people about Jesus. You know, you you don't need a strategy. You say, I don't know if I can do that. You you talk all the time. You 
you, you talk about games, you, you talk about funny Instagram posts, you know, you talk about friends, you talk about boys you like, you talk about teams you like, you, you talk all the time. You never shut up. Now just talk about Jesus. And you don't need an approach that's like, oh, excuse me, sir, but if you died today, do you know where you would go? Just shh. At some point, you have friends that you hang out with, and at some point you could just say, hey, can I tell you something that's really important to me? And we talk about a lot of stuff, we laugh a lot, but can I just share something that's really important to me? I don't just go to church. I love Jesus. And he's, he's everything. He changed my life. And I want to tell you about him. Don't freak out. Just let me tell you what the Bible teaches so that you could know Jesus. And just tell him. You don't have to preach. You don't need a PowerPoint. Just, just talk to people about Jesus. Now, I'm not going to use a picture of Russell. I'm going to use a picture of a little girl. And I do this because I, I'm going to give up a little bit of my preaching time for you to see a video. I say, pray, meet people, tell them about Jesus. Part of meeting people, Christians need to get better at not just talking to people, but listening to people. You know, we always say, like, we're the mouth of Jesus. Yeah, but sometimes we need to be the ears of Jesus, empathize. People are going through hard stuff. A friend of mine said, you need to learn the story behind the face. You're going out into a world of Samaritan women. They have sad lives. They have heartaches. They have burdens nobody cares about. I tell you, a great evangelism strategy, care for people. Listen to them. Listen to their problems. My wife is great at this. It used to annoy me. She's such a good listener. There would be times we would be on a date, and by the end of the meal, the waitress would be seated at our table, pouring out her heart to my wife. You know, because she just listened. A friend said she listens with her eyes. You know, she's just there and attentive and listen to people. There's a video. I'm going to ask uh, Noah, who's been killing it all week. I hate to break the mood, but Noah, great job. Noah does a great job. Out there. Okay, now, now this video was produced by Chick-fil-A because I'm from Atlanta and because I'm a Christian. Um, I get no kickback from Chick-fil-A for using this video, all right? So ignore the eat more chicken, stuff like that. But, but watch the message of the video. It's actually pretty moving, pretty effective. We meet people, we, we care for people, and eventually we tell them not about chicken, we tell them about Jesus. Let's go ahead and roll, roll the video. It should say something next to the cow, like, you know, is urgently pleading with people to eat more chicken to save his family. Every life has a story if we bothered to read it or bothered to listen to it. And, you know, is it kind of emotional. Yeah, it, probably none of the stories are real for those individuals. They're actors, you know. Um, but it's still moving to me. Now, granted, everything's moving to me. I can cry at a 30-second commercial. It's just too... I, I live with five women, so um, that, that felt like a sexist comment. I'm just an emotional person deep down. But the idea of caring for people, like the Samaritan woman, just care for people, listen and, and talk to them about Jesus. That was a lesson from a jar. Let's hurry. Quickly, we can get a lesson from a lunch. This won't take long. The disciples come back. They've gone into town to get food. 
Jesus stayed by the well because he's weary, but because he had this divine appointment to meet this lady to save her. So the disciples come back, and they came back alone. Okay, so they go in there. Apparently, they don't, they don't bring anybody to Jesus. They don't witness about Jesus. They probably don't talk to people. Sometimes you're on the wrong, part of, uh, wrong side of town, and you're like, All right, I have to get gas, but I'm not going to look anybody in the face. Just do your business and get back. So they come back alone. Let's be honest. The disciples don't really look good in this chapter. This is kind of a tough day for them. So they come back alone. They start to talk to Jesus about food. They say, hey, Jesus, eat something. He says, I have, I have food to eat that you don't know of. And somebody said, well, did somebody give Jesus a ham sandwich? They probably didn't say ham sandwich because they're Jews. But did someone, <laughs> did someone get Jesus... Did someone get Jesus a, a pizza, a fish? They're totally missing the point. And here's the point. The disciples were so obsessed with their own physical needs that they were oblivious to others' spiritual needs. They didn't ask about the woman. They didn't talk about the town. They just said, I'm starving. Are you hungry? you got to be hungry. Jesus, meanwhile, was so obsessed with other spiritual needs, that he was oblivious to his own physical needs. Don't bother me with food. God's doing things. That lady just got saved. I have food to eat that you don't know about, and it's way better. It's way more satisfying. Sometimes it's not that we're ashamed of the gospel, we're just too into our own stuff. You know, the prophet Jonah doesn't care that hundreds of thousands of peoples are about to perish under the wrath of God. But when God kills his gourd, his plant, he gets really angry. You know, what's wrong with us? We care more about, maybe, maybe adults, we care more about our lawn or our bank account or your grades or your whatever. You're oblivious to the needs of people around you. The disciples couldn't care less about others. They're too self-absorbed on this particular day. Charles Spurgeon this time I quote favorably, he says, soul winning is the chief business of the Christian minister. Indeed, it should be the main pursuit of every true believer. Every Christian is a witness. Every Christian is a disciple maker. Maybe not every Christian is a missionary on a foreign field, but every Christian is telling people about Jesus, even baby Christians like the Samaritan woman. Finally, we learned a lesson from a farm. Jesus is going to transition and start talking about agriculture. He's going to say, look around you guys. All right, get, your, get your mind off of your food. Look around you. And let's see, we're, we're in verse 35. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. They're ripe. All right, the harvest, it, it's time to harvest now. So he says, we're going to get started. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. I mean, when, when a harvest comes in, it's a happy time. Here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and now you're going to get to enter into their labor. I think what's happening is this. It could be that Jesus is looking at fields, wheat or something, but I wonder if Jesus isn't saying, hey guys, Stop eating and look over toward the village you just came out of. 
there's a bunch of people that are coming this direction. It's harvest time. You're going to get to reap, but somebody else did, did the sowing. Somebody else planted the seed. I think, who, who planted the seed in this case? Who planted the seed? The Samaritan woman who knows next to nothing. These guys live with Jesus, hear his teaching, see his example. They haven't done a thing. You know, they should have evangelized the city. But she did the work, and now you're going to get to reap, and guys, it's just the grace of God. So a lesson from a farm. The harvest is plentiful. You know, we used, to, we used to sing a song, untold millions are still untold. Untold billions with a B are untold. There's lost people all around us. There's people lost all over the world. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. So John 4, he says, get busy harvesting even though you haven't sown. And then one of my favorite passages, Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Jesus looks at the multitude. He has compassion. He says the harvest truly is plentiful. It's huge. The labors are so few. So pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth labors. I've told you, I've been praying that. I'm praying it again right now. God, send forth labors from this chapel. Send forth labors to harvest, to, to bring in souls. And where there is harvest, there is joy. I love last night when you heard that somebody had come to Christ and, and you erupted. Uh, learned of, I learned of another person that came to Christ today. She came up and she just face to face, she wanted to tell me, do you want to hear what happened? I got saved today. She gave me, she gave me permission to tell her story and I'm just going to leave it alone so she can tell her own story uh, if she'd like tonight. But God's saving people. We're in Iowa. One of the most faithful missionaries I've ever met was a farmer in Iowa. I asked him about, about being a missionary, specifically I asked him about how can I kind of encourage people to, to head toward missions? And, you know, why did you make the change from being a farmer to being a missionary? He wrote back, and I want to read, I want to read his response. His name is Tom farmer from Iowa, said, I spent many years on the farm, both growing up and as an adult. Every year there was a harvest, sometimes more, sometimes less, but always a harvest. Sometimes the harvest was easy, sometimes it was difficult. Sometimes I didn't feel like getting in the combine. Sometimes I got discouraged when equipment broke down or the weather was unpleasant. Sometimes I wanted to quit early. One year I didn't finish picking corn until midwinter when the ground finally froze hard enough to get the corn picker out there. The point is, we always brought in the harvest. We never once left it out there. So, so Tom, why are you leaving your farm and moving to Cameroon? Because we can't leave the harvest out there. Because people are perishing without the Savior. Because we have the answer. We're commanded to go. This afternoon in, in the summit meeting, we had a mission talk with about 80 people in here. And we went through Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Acts. And in every book, Jesus, right before he ascended to heaven, he says, go tell the world about me. Go make disciples all over the world. Go to all nations. Take the gospel to every creature. He says, go. So, Missionaries are just normal people 
who go to the world for the glory of Jesus' name. Just normal people telling others about Jesus, but, but not just at home. They're going to dark places. You know, they're going to needy places. The goal isn't to have the best church in town or the biggest church in town. The goal of a missionary is to have the only church in town. If the missionary weren't there, people wouldn't hear about Jesus. So a missionary says, that's unacceptable. And I'm going to go. About 12 years ago, I was asked to write a hymn text for a missions conference for, for high school, college-age students and wrote a song called For the Sake of His Name. Uh, the message isn't quite over, but I want to sing it with you. And uh, I'm going to introduce it to you. I'm assuming um, maybe a few of you know of it, but probably most of you don't. I'm going to sing it. I'm not a singer. You will never buy a CD with me singing on it. Never. But I want to introduce a song to you that has an urgency. We're, we're going for the sake of Jesus' name. We want Him to be praised. We go out as missionaries or, or we send them. We pray for them. We support them all for Jesus' sake. I'm going to sing the first verse in the chorus and then we're going to stand and sing four verses together and then quickly I will wrap up the sermon, all right? Go to the world for the sake of His name. Go to the world for the sake of His name To every nation His glory proclaim Pray that the Spirit wise will open darkened eyes granting new life to display jesus fame in jesus power preach christ to the lost for jesus glory count all else but loss gather from every place Trophies of sovereign grace, lest life be wasted, exalt Jesus' cross. Let's stand and sing together. Go to the world for the sake of His name, to every nation His glory proclaim. Pray that the Spirit wise will open darkened eyes, granting new life to display Jesus' fame. In Jesus' power, preach Christ to the lost. For Jesus' glory, count all else but loss. Gather from every place trophies of sovereign grace, lest life be wasted, exalt Jesus' cross. Love the unloved for the sake of His name. Like Christ befriend those whose heads hang in shame. Jesus did not condemn, but was condemned for them. Trust gospel power, for we once were the same. In Jesus' power, preach Christ to the lost. 
For Jesus' glory count all else but loss. Gather from every place trophies of sovereign grace. Lest life be wasted, exalt Jesus' cross. Let's sing this last verse. Look to the throne for the sake of His name. Of the throng who will share in His reign. Some for whose souls we pray will share our joy that day. Joining our song for the sake of His name. In Jesus' power preach Christ to the lost. For Jesus' glory, count all else but loss. Gather from every place trophies of sovereign grace. Lest life be wasted, exalt Jesus' cross. Amen. Lord, send us. Send a bunch of us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Be seated, please. Let's wrap up. Let's wrap up the whole week. David Platt has become kind of a prophet for the cause of missions around the world. David Platt writes, God clearly has decided to use the church and only the church as the means by which the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. He's not going to send angels. It's not what he does. He's given the responsibility to us, and then be struck by this next sentence. There is no plan B. We're it. Jesus said, take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and if Christians don't obey that command, then the gospel doesn't get there. And people are in the night without any hope, and, and we just leave them there. Or... You say, Jesus, you've done everything for me. I'll do anything for you. Where do you want me to go? And you go with his power for his glory. And it's going to be tough. It's going to be discouraging. Might be dangerous. But it's so worth it. I was in college. And uh, Bob Jones III was the president. We called him triple six, but not to his face. And he would say in chapel... Every day in chapel, he would say, the most sobering reality in the world today is that, and then everybody would finish the statement. So let's do that. You read, the most sobering reality in the world today is that people are dying and going to hell today. The most sobering reality in the world today is that people are dying and going to hell today. If we're not okay with that, then pray and say, Jesus, what can I do to be part of the solution? Where do you want me to go? See how he answers. I end with this. We are all Samaritan women. We are loved in spite of ourselves. We are useful in spite of ourselves. And it's all by God's grace. It's all for God's glory. 
Evangelism and missions aren't for some commando Christians. You know, there's no, there's no superhero, there's no Batman, there's just normal, average Christian people who go to the lost and tell them about Jesus. Every single Christian is a witness or is supposed to be a witness. The only joyful, adventuresome, meaningful life is one sold out to God for both worship and witness. You're not missing a thing. The way of the world just leads to destruction, heartache, disappointment, thirst. You come to know Jesus, love Him, serve Him, worship Him, witness for Him. Your life is is going to be so blessed. He came to give you fullness of joy. Finally, I say this to wrap up the week. I believe that God has been working here. I've had so many conversations and and heard from counselors. God's, God's working in your hearts and in mine. God is working here. Let me give you this last encouragement. God does not live at IRBC. I mean, he's here. He doesn't live here. You leave this place, nothing has to change. You don't have a spiritual high for a week and then crash and burn when you get home. There's no need for you to crater when you get home. That's going to be harder because you're going to get your stupid phone back. And you're going to have temptations that maybe weren't as present here. It's going to be harder. But Jesus is there. He's with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not just shrug and say, well, you know, that was nice. And uh, that was a rush. And now back to reality. Now, Jesus is going home with you. He's everywhere. Remember, remember, you're the temple of God. If you know Jesus, there's no flame of fire over your head, but there's a spirit of God in your heart. So keep walking with him. Keep growing. Don't, don't go home and give up. Uh, this is a cool experience. This isn't normal life. Not till heaven. Go home and walk with Jesus. Go home and tell other people about Jesus. And live a life that its whole direction, the whole arc of your life, your future, is headed for Jesus. And you're doing everything for his glory. Let the glory of Jesus' name be the passion of the church. Be the passion of your life. Thank you, Lord, for what you do. To save people like us, as messed up as we are. To draw us into relationship and fellowship and worship, adoration with you. And then, in your great mercy, you don't only forgive us, you use us, and we get to play a part in others getting saved. That's amazing. Thank you. Now, Lord, use the people in this room, young and old, use us to bring more people to Christ and more glory to the name of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand up and sing together.